I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. A recurring theme that I've come across in interviews with Kurdish artists or conversations I've had with people in the Kurdish community about the creative arts here is there's a note of preservation that comes with it. Um, That's very normal for communities that have had to undergo generations of marginalization or diaspora or alienation or appropriation. Um, In the United States, uh, this is very easily seen all over the country and all over the communities uh, due to the history of the country. Um, You you can see it in black American identity expressed in music and art uh, or the Jewish community. And now uh, there is a growing Kurdish population in the U.S. uh, due to the diaspora and due to generations of oppression from this region of the world. (laughs) So there is now a similar growth in Kurdish literature and, as we'll discuss today, films. Khayal Kertel uh, began the New York Kurdish Film Festival in 2017 with this idea of preservation in mind, her own background growing up in Turkey and feeling alienated from her own identity, encouraged her when she got older and moved to New York to raise awareness about her community, both for those outside of the community uh, who may not know anything about Kurdistan, as well as Kurds in the diaspora who may have some amount of disconnect from their own roots. And I'm going to let her talk about her upbringing more. Uh, (laughs) But for now, I'll just say that the festival is happening in 10 days. And if you are in New York, you should definitely check it out. And if you're not, you should look up the listing of the films being shown because festivals like this are vital to the Kurdish community's survival abroad. And that art that comes with them is made with such care and focus that it really does make for something truly special and unique. So with all that said, here's our conversation. Hi, Khayal. How are you? Erin, thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning to you in New York. Um, so I'd, I'd just like to start with your background, because um, before we spoke, before we turned on the mics, I thought an interesting point that you brought up to me um, from your own personal life experience was the lack of recognition in your identity uh, in school and in your community growing up. So I was wondering if we could start with you just expanding on that. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, my my ancestry came from Rojola to Kira, from Kira to Erzengan. And then my parents moved to Istanbul. I'm the first generation. I'm second of the five kids. Uh, we all grew in Istanbul, were born and raised in Istanbul. So it's it's almost a custom uh, for Kurds to, you know, keep moving unfortunately, mm-hmm. from persecution, from imprisonment, so on and so forth. So when I was growing uh, in Istanbul and my parents, just like millions of other Kurds and Kurdish Alevis, hide our identity, right? It means that I went through day in, day out, um, huge assimilation by, you know, indoctrinated through educational system. You know, I was part of these millions of students who were um, 
saying out and loud every day. I'm a Turk. I'm a writer. I um, I'm clever, and so on and so forth. Right. So then there is this huge conflict between what you know as is in a, in a secretive way and what it manifests every day, life mm-hmm. in school. Um, if you go to library, TV has huge impact. It's really, 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 uh, I think, crucial portion of assimilation. And because everyone was believed to be Turk and Sunni Muslim um, and speak Turkish, it is a huge, it, it, it's a huge wave of people who are ready to confront whoever says, oh, I'm not a Turk, right? It's like mm. Everyone is ready to jump on or, you know, confront, um, physically attack. That that's unfortunately educational system is is mentally preparing you to take action. Because not only they were telling us we are turfs day in, day out, but also they were uh pro- doing propaganda against Armenians, for instance, that they they are backsteppers. We fed them for years, they were safe, and then all of a sudden uh, they wanted to take our soil, although it's their soil. Uh, So then, you know, then they killed us. We never told that actually in the past, Turks killed Armenians. It was the other way around. Some Armenians casualties here and there just because they they were asked to leave the country and on the way there are some casualties. That's all we learned. And imagine that the lack or missing identity totally, good or bad. I mean, Armenians were there at least. We knew they exist, but Kurds didn't even exist. We were, I mean, like you are there, but you are not there. Right? They mountain put Turks. You mass- <laughs> yes, mountain <laughs> Turks. And, exactly. And, and, and when uh, Kurds got into the parliament, um, and uh, Leila Zana famously put her Kurdish colored uh, hairband, and that was a huge spike um, against uh, Kurdish identity uh, in civil. Uh, in civil society as well, but then to a point where they cannot deny because there were so many villages, Kurdish villages, thousands of them burned and killed and missing Kurds. And then they said, okay, well, they are some people um, that we call down mountain Turks, but that's, that's all. So the identity was totally confusing and, and it's, it is, so painful for for a kid growing up not knowing the reality could you walk me through when you started to more openly embrace your kurdish identity particularly when you went to new york could you could you take me through that journey yes so when i came here as a student i wanted to do um 
my master degree and I wanted to continue in academia. And I also had to work and uh, send money back home. So all this, I managed to get my master degree and I'm an educator. Uh, I still work uh, for CUNY since twenty since 2001, late 2001. I now had a space to manifest what I instantly know, right? Because knowing your identity without having any value to live really doesn't resonate, doesn't mean anything as if like I am I'm tall and I don't know what does it mean if all the space is twice as taller than my height, right? It's it's like, or twice as lower than me, myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I would never feel uh, my height unless I walk through a space that fits onto that. So I just, you know, example. So then I learned and I met with other Kurds. Then my identity starts really solidifying. I wanted to explore my beautiful culture, my beautiful language, cinema, uh, traditions, colors. There's just tremendous, tremendous amount of richness in my culture. So that's how I started in 2017, uh, New York Kurdish Cultural and Film Festival. In recognizing the need to establish the film festival, could you take me through what was it like finding people who were interested in Kurdish films uh, inside and also outside of the community? Um, I started with a, another grassroots organizations that they knew Kurds um, because of fight. But then when I when I um, expressed my interest about introducing Kurds, they said, "Oh yeah, that seems right." Because my point was. Once ISIS has been defeated, we know no one will back up Kurds again, and we will be written in history as good fighters, and they can die, and that's okay. I I just wanted to take a break off. I just wanted to divorce from that um, uh, from that traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to use the same vocabulary, but we know that over and again. Western countries failed to to support Kurds. Mm-hmm. I just wanted people to enrich her with with cinema, right? Back then, I didn't have many people around me, but I had two or three people believed in my mission. That's how we started. As a very humble, small start, it was. It's it's interesting to me because you're not the first interview I've done with someone who's outside of the region who's progressively felt the need to stay more connected to their own culture as they've gotten farther away from it. So I was wondering if you could expand on that feeling because that's a very particular feeling for diasporic communities. And it's something I've noticed with creative Kurdish people uh, I've interviewed in the U.S. Uh, or in Canada or in Europe. Yes, yes. It's, it's very ironic that... One may think people who are living in Kurdistan can 
live Kurdish identity or connect it to, to it more than someone who lives in diaspora. But unfortunately, it's other way around because it is uh, our identity concealed in four walls, right? In our homes. Mm-hmm. You can listen to Kurdish music, not so loud, just enough to hear it. You you should not speak Kurdish if you know outside. You know, it, it anything could happen. A crazy Turk can stab you or police can arrest you or harass you, uh, the least. So without manifesting your identity publicly, it, it's really not 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 complete right do do the far you are getting away from kurdistan not kurdistan actually the occupiers right because kurdistan is under occupation the the geographically when we move away from our occupiers then we find that safe space mm-hmm. we find freedom oh Look, I have Kurdish flag right behind me, and no one is harassing me. I can take my Kurdish flag outside. I can speak Kurdish. Um, I can teach Kurdish to kids. No one will come and knock on my door and say that, you know. So you're a terrorist because Kurdish identity, not because people also scared just because of the past, but also current reality. They, um, they injected that idea that Kurdish identity is equal terrorism. And that's, that's against human rights. Mm-hmm. So individuals who have this fire in them start acting a cultural ambassador and either um, doing Kurdish language classes or festivals or or what have you. We start practicing and people are coming to us. People who are identified with us because of persecution, because their families, they might not be Kurdish. Even sometimes... Turkish people writing and trying to understand what is really happening because they didn't have opportunity to even know who we are, why why they grew up um, hearing Kurds equal terrorism. They had no idea. So to talk about the difficult political situation that Kurds find themselves in internationally, uh, because, you know, there's no... Kurdish seat in the UN. Uh, it remains a divided nation uh, over four different borders. How how then does the creative art scene internationally play into asserting Kurdish identity for the world? Erin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you you should you should go to Kurdish film festivals. <laughs> that that's I think um, express the unity visually and not stronger than words. We might be under four different occupiers, but again, our traditions, our culture, our songs are so strong. And when that reflected on moving image, 
we know we are one. We know we are part of 4250 million old Kurdish nation. No one needs to tell us we are one, so we are one. And that films are confirming, that songs are singing that we are one. Well, and also that that form of storytelling is so important because especially for Kurdish culture, because Kurdish culture thrives on its oral tradition, its oral storytelling. And then to see this tradition translated into a film format uh, uh, makes for a very special form of artistic expression for the community, uh, especially in the Western Hemisphere, where not a lot of people uh, here or there, rather, <laughs> know about uh, uh, Kurdish identity. Yes, yes. It's it, because Kurds are all people. And our traditions are not written uh, to pass on the history, but verbal one. And that turns into beautiful songs, then bash, um, or chiroks that I grew up listening those chiroks that goes on and on and on and on. And each time, each storyteller will tell you a different ending. Story always changing. Something else happened to that little girl, or um, or the wolf, or or chicken. What? Uh, who? Who are? Whoever? Uh, whoever the characters will always end up in a different way. So everyone will add something from them themselves. Um, and I remember begging my uncle to tell us a story. And he was like, okay, I'm tired. Just one more. Just one more, mm-hmm. Uncle. Uh, yes, Sarin, this is our reality because our language were never allowed to or used um, in written format. Um, we were never allowed to even have our songs on a piece of paper so someone else can sing them right but but they were so beautiful they've been appropriated and that there are so many uh, academic works um pro- uh, showing us how many kurdish songs are being appropriated and stolen and presented as turkish so is our food what kinds of differences, because we speak so much about unifying Kurdish identity through the arts, but what kinds of differences have you noticed as this festival is carried on in terms of uh, perspective, uh, maybe in dialect? Uh, how have you noticed the different kinds of art pieces or films in the selections that you've made for this festival? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, we have to acknowledge that Kurdish language has dialects and largest spoken one is Kurmanji. The second largest one is Sorani and so on and so forth. We have to acknowledge there are dialects due to the fact that we've been away from each other and uh, the occupiers forces their language as a primary language. So we've been influenced by other languages. Hence, uh, Sorani is use script versus us Kurmanji speakers 
we are using Latin alphabet. So there's a difference there, right there. It's very visual. Mm -hmm. um, but when we when we watch a film that a ma uh, diet cooking nun, right, bread, I'm pretty sure you've seen it in, in yes. Mashuri Kurdistan. Doesn't matter what that mother speaks, you know that's our food. Right? Or when we say dolma or dolma or um, baby, they learn something from their neighbors and they're cooking in a different way. But, you know, at the end, you know the food that you will get, right? Um, there are certainly differences that should not be denied. But on the contrary, uh, uh, myself and my colleagues, we acknowledge it and taking it and cherish it. But how do you see, I guess, my question was, let me ask it again this way. How have you seen, um, with all of what we've discussed about uh, uh, appropriation and diaspora, how have you seen this reflected in the newest generation of Kurdish creative expression? Yes, yes, they are. I think we are, we, we are lucky to have one of the most talented uh, film directors, and I... I stay on my, um, uh, I support my statement strongly because they not only making films for the sake of becoming famous or sell their films to have, you know, income, they almost get no money, by the way. Um, mm. They do it voluntarily with little support, but solidarity. That's why it's possible. We always support one another. We have each other. We may not have money, but we have each other. <laughs> but then they do their job diligently. They go talk to their neighbors, elderly, read, um, go visit places, or they write uh, what they remember from their childhood. For instance, our opening night film, Neighbors, directed by... Mano Khalil, uh, and written by Mano. Mano grew up in uh, Rojava, and the film is based on his childhood. And that film has gotten, I believe, now more than 100 awards, right? And it is the opening night film uh, at the Lincoln Center, opening night film uh, for us, for London, for German, so many film festivals. E even the, the, I believe, the first golf film festival chose his film. Although there is there are some critical point of view for Arab neighbors. They still, because of the quality, yes, Mono is reflecting storytelling uh, tradition, onto images, moving images, uh, through his memories. But many people find themselves in it, even though it is from small village from Rojava. When people watch it in New York, in London, in even Korea, they find something themselves and again the quality of film is you know 
uh, worthwhile to uh, to recognize worldwide. So uh, we were discussing before that that we believe we believe that your film festival is the only Kurdish film festival in the entire Western Hemisphere. Uh, and that comes with a lot of responsibility. Uh, so I wanted to ask you how you bear that responsibility personally. And also, where would you like this to expand next? Um, my colleagues, my my friends who are helping me know, and my, my son knows, uh, what does it mean to get ready for film festival. I start working at least six months before. I mean, it's an ongoing project. Whenever mm -hmm. I I find an opportunity to introduce a film festival, I do. But the real work starts six months before starting finding a venue, starting finding um, resources to pay for that venue, then the then the updating the website, the technical issues, and it just so much work that's worth at least good portion of six months and last two months i do not go out hmm. i do not see anyone uh, i simply spare all the times it's, it's like even minutes are so valuable at this point right now that i do not spare to do anything else and so i live with minimum um necessities to feed my son myself <laughs> and then making film festival uh possible it's a huge responsibility and uh we are well aware of it that's why we do our job too diligently um what we are hoping to have in the future of course expanding the film festival right we are right now offering three days film festival but we should be able to do hopefully a week next year and bring at least half all the film directors to new york um to let them talk to the audience to let audience that ask questions to them directly so then they also will see who is the creator of this beautiful work, right? Who was the director, woman, or man behind the camera for so many hours? And for film directors to meet with the audience and like, oh, these are my audiences. They appreciate, they ask questions. They like my films. And they are, they might not be even Kurds. So that is taking us that locality of Kurdish cinema to internationalism, right? How actually we, our films are way before exceeded those artificial local boundaries and join international uh, film, uh, film sector. Well, Khayal, thank you so much uh, for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Best of luck on the film festival. Sa'chawa. <laughs> 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 
Thanks so much, uh, Frechayel, for taking the time out of her very busy schedule uh, to speak with me. I'm including information about the film festival in the description below. Uh, Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network. You can visit our website at kurdistanin.net. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Thank you.